Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy to see your beautiful faces. Happy to be here this morning. So I was thinking about, can we put this up a little bit? My voice is so low, I can barely hear myself. Good, okay, perfect. So I was thinking about what I was gonna say today and what came to mind was, so just like two weeks ago, I had a little panic attack. That hadn't happened to me in a long time because I've been so good at like just breathing and being aware and attentive to myself and just being in tune with myself. And as soon as it happened, I did the best thing I can do, and it was breathe. I remember telling myself, I'm like, okay, I closed my eyes, brought myself like into like a little meditative state, and I was like, okay, Emily, breathe, breathe. <clears throat> and it changed everything. Literally, from one second, I was shaking my heart. I thought I was gonna pass out. I thought I was gonna faint. My heart rate was like, my body was shaking, and then I was fine. And I just started thinking about how this meditation practice is so powerful because it helps in those tough moments, in those moments where we can't, we, we think we cannot contain ourselves, but really that's when we are the nearest to God, as close as our very breath. So this practice is so powerful and I just want to remind you how powerful it can be for you just by bringing yourself back to your breath. And this practice teaches you more about yourself than anything ever will, being silent and still with yourself and God. That's why we say here at Heartway, it's about discovering yourself and God. It's, they're both one. So let's get into a comfortable position and let's practice in this beautiful practice together. So <clears throat> you can go ahead and place your hands downwards if you feel like you wanna feel grounded or you can place them upwards if you feel like you want to receive. Let's start off by taking a few deep breaths together. Unclench your jaw, release, release any tension you are holding in your body. Let it all go. Be here right now in this moment. No other moment needs you other than this one right now.
you feel like thoughts arise, do not judge them. Simply allow them to float on by. Simply observe them. They do not define you. I want you to envision a body of water. Allow yourself to float in this body of water. There may be waves, there may be turbulence. You may sink, but you will come back up. Allow yourself to be at peace and rest in God's presence. Allow yourself in this moment to take in all of God's love. we silence the mind, the more we can hear our hearts, we can hear God. We come to know our true selves in this moment, that we are just a vessel of love. of these moments of stillness. I want you to take a moment to honor yourself. experience love. 
focus on your breath. Enjoy this next moment of silence to just see what God has to say to us. There's no right or wrong way to be in silence, to be with God. Just by seeking God's presence, you're doing it right. Whenever you're ready, take in a few more deep breaths. Go ahead and open your eyes. Amen. I love you all. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everybody. Once again, you guys are in for a special treat because I have some conversation partners with me today. What I love about Heartway is that within our own community, we have some amazing people who are doing incredible things in the world, and these are two of them. You already know our residential psychologist, the mental muscle coach, Ryan Howard, who, uh, who comes and spits fire sometimes uh, when, when he teaches and, and then leads meditations. And then we have 
Dr. Miranda Howard. This is the, the future Dr. Howard. This is the, the longtime Dr. Howard, who is a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And you know, ever since we started Heartway, it's been a passion of mine to teach people what integrated spirituality looks like, a holistic spirituality. And that entails talking about mental health matters. And May is Mental Health Month. And so before this month ends, I thought it would be really cool for us to have a conversation with some people who do this for a living and talk about uh, what, it, what it looks like to, to understand family dynamics, generational patterns, and how that affects the way that we see ourselves and relate to other people and operate in the world. Because sometimes in order to move forward in your life, you've got to go back and do some digging and start to bring some understanding to where you come from and what you come from and how that has impacted and affected you. So to get us started, why don't we just talk about, oh wait, first, before I ask the first question, we're gonna at some point open up the floor for live Q&A. So if you have questions, as you hear us talking, write them down, make a little mental note, and then we're gonna pass around the mic and, and have a fun discussion that is gonna include each and every one of you. So. Let's start by just talking about why this is an important discussion. Why is it important for us to understand family dynamics and generational patterns? Um, well, first of all, let me say thank you um, for really bringing attention to this important subject um, because our mental health is so much a part of who we are. Uh, I love what Pastor Danny said earlier about um, identity, um, and that when we are in search of identity, we're really in search of who we are, but also who we are in God and who God is in us. And so there is that deeper need to know who we are. But who we are isn't just about us. It's who we are who we became because of the families that we grew up with and the families that they grew up with. And so there's this generational perspective. Um, I like to say, um, as I'm teaching my students, that it's important to know that when a person comes into the room, that they come in not just as that person, but with every relationship with every other experience, with um, the, the way they were raised. Everything comes into that room with them. And so as you're sitting here, it's important for you to understand that your mental health really speaks to that. What your experiences have been, what your relationships have been. Um, everything is relational. Everything. We think about our relationship with people, but our relationship with our hair, with our job, um, with Heartway, uh, with the weather. Everything is relational. So as we consider that, we must consider that the way we are is a reflection mm. of those relationships. That's good because that means we've got to take some responsibility as well because it's very easy to just blame our environment. 
right, and blame our parents and blame our family for us being the way that we are. And that's probably a, a necessary stage to go through, right, like dealing with the anger that comes maybe from recognizing toxicity in your family. I'm sure many, you guys maybe can speak to that because a lot of people probably carry some sort of animosity towards their family and they haven't moved to that stage of taking responsibility right now. It's just, I'm angry, I'm blaming them and that's that. And it's so interesting, you know, that you started this off by mentioning integration, you know, because one story that I've carried with me for the longest that I don't even know if you remember the first time you told me this, but my mom and I were sitting in the in the kitchen and I was down for I was down from school. I think I was at, at college and I asked her out of nowhere. I was like, Mom, what's your favorite word? Just I don't know. It just interested me in the moment. I was like, what's your favorite word? And she thought about it and she goes, integrity. And at the moment that I heard it, I was just like, okay, cool, whatever, you know, but it ended up being one of those seeds that spread roots and gained this new depth more and more as I grew older. And I came to realize that, wow, that is really what the search for God, what my search for self represents that it's all about becoming more integrated with all of these different parts of ourselves that we relate to. You know, when it comes to our love of ourselves, when it comes to the way that we perceive the world, when it comes to the way that we engage with God, and it's like, when we come to understand that relationship really is the, one of the most important things that we have here in this world, it's all about integrating ourselves and allowing ourselves to really be who we, who we are in God, and I just think it's so powerful. That's good. So where do we start? Like, how does someone begin trying to even understand their family dynamics? Because some of us, we haven't even begun the journey of going in and, and exploring and, and trying to see how our environment has affected us. How, how do you help people do that? Well, I think key is remembering that it is a journey that it, it represents not just an, a start and an end, but a journey from a level of awareness to a greater level of awareness. Um, and so uh, Pastor Danny mentioned blaming and, you know, we, we get angry about the things that we discover are component parts of how we became us. Um, but to engage in blaming is really to engage in stuckness, you know, to being stuck, to just staying there, rather than to say, okay, what has this come to tell me? What has this come to tell me? Um, and realizing that what we're getting is information. Um, many times when people come to mental health, it's about a label, because we want to know, okay, if I get this label, then I know what I can fix, all right? And we're about the business of fixing. But it really isn't about fixing as much as it is about learning how to be, learning how to be present, learning how to love yourself and to accept the fact that nobody here is perfect. All right? God created this world, and there's a lot of imperfection going on. But different doesn't mean deficient. 
all right? What we bring to the table is what we bring to the table. And the question becomes, how do we bring it to the table with integrity? How do we own it with a love and an understanding that says this is about the journey? Yeah, I feel like also too, you know, we begin in these family units, but the journey of healing kind of involves a sort of uh, separation from the family unit, at least for a little bit, right? Like to start trying to make sense of life and relationships and who you are. And sometimes when you go on this healing journey, but other people on your family aren't, that can be seen as a threat. That can be seen as a problem. You may be met with rejection because now you're not playing into the same dynamics that we're used to. You're not meeting these same expectations that we've always had of you. You're, you're changing. You're being different. You're setting some boundaries. You're saying no. What have you seen when you work with people in this regard, like dealing with this kind of stuff? Well, there's a little something we call homeostasis, okay? Um, it's what we all try to do is to establish a, a level of normalcy. What does normal look like? And I'm, I'm sure if I went around the room and asked every one of you what the definition of normal is, each of you would have a different definition. And that be is because that definition is different from all of us. In the families that we grew up in, it was about establishing what normal looked like. Not that normal was healthy, but this is how we operate in this family. These are the roles, these are the rules. These, this is how we handle information, okay? Like messages, children are to be seen and not heard, okay? So when we grow up in that environment, that becomes our norm we learn not to use our voice, okay? Because we're just supposed to be seen, right? We're not supposed to speak. So we never cultivate this idea of using our voice. And if we don't know how to use our voice, then what do we do when we, you know, move into adult relationships? It's so amazing to what extent that whole dynamic influences us or family dynamics and things like that. You know, I was just listening to this neuroscientist named Dr. Andrew Huberman, and he was basically talking about how our central nervous system, obviously one of its main jobs is to keep us alive. But the other job it has is to create a model of the world. Because we all say we experience the world, but we really experience our model of the world. You know, because even as I sit here and I look at my mom, I look at Danny, I look at you guys, I'm convinced that my image of you is exactly the image that all of you guys see. You know, it's, this is my model of the world. But also, I have an inner model of reality, how I feel internally, how I perceive my own thoughts and things like that. And so one of the major jobs of the central nervous system is to create congruency between my inner world and my perceived outer world. So while I'm living at home with the parents and with the family dynamics and I'm learning what normal is for me, that is molding my internal normal, my internal reality. But then I become an adult and I go out into the world and now I'm 
seeing this external reality. And I'm constantly trying to make my inner normal match my outer normal. So when I'm going into romantic relationships and I'm wondering why there's this subconscious inclination to create drama when everything's peaceful. You ever meet people like that? I Were think they... it's probably 99.9% .9 of you. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering if any of you guys were going to call me out on the spot, but you know, <laughs> where they just, it literally seems like peace is uncomfortable for them. They need to shake something up, you know, and if not, they call it boring. If not, they say not enough is changing up, but it's all because of their inner normal. And, and one interesting little element of that is that even explains the different emotions and sensations we experience when we talk about, you know, if we say I'm feeling anxious, <laughs> bless you, <laughs> that inner reality, it has its own metronome, a certain speed at which we're processing information, right? And then we have the outer world, the way we feel like things are moving out here. And so if I'm waiting in line at Publix and I feel like the metronome of my outer world is super slow and I'm hiked up on coffee because it's 9.30 in the morning, I'm trying to get to work and I'm going like this, now I'm irritated. But if it's reversed, then I feel the opposite. And it's all because there's this lack of congruency. And it all comes back to relationship. Mm, mm, that is so good. Wow. Yeah, very few people realize how the relational dynamics of our family upbringing affect the way we do all relationships. But there is a huge correlation, huge correlation. So how do we begin healing, right? Because some people's normal is trauma. A lot of people's normal when it comes to family dynamics, generational patterns, is trauma. Maybe it's abuse. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard People tell me that their parents, one of their parents told them that they were a mistake. Like real human beings, you know, who, have, who, who hear this from their caregivers. Or people who experience abuse. Where do, we, where do we even begin this process of healing when we feel like we've been so hurt by our family? Um, I think we're, when we start there, at that question, you know, we've been hurt by our family, really doesn't pay attention to the fact that the hurt that we're healing is not necessarily about us, but it's about the hurt that existed before us that is now being projected on us, okay? So when I hear a parent say, to, to a child, I don't love you, it's probably because that parent never felt loved themselves, okay? And so what I say when we engage in healing is that we have to think about what the message means. What, it has, what has it come to us to say? If it's not just about us, because that's what relational implies, that is not just about us, but it is about this larger system that we're a part of, okay? And have been a part of even before we were born. Even before we were born, we were a part of things that were happening, that were working themselves up to us. So healing involves, number one, acknowledging that 
it's not just one dimensional, all right? That it involves us being able to contextualize and say, wait a minute, this pain that's going on is multi-layered. It probably started with my great-grandmother and, and channeled down to my grandmother and, and now to my mom and now to me. You know, when I think about who I am as a person, I can clearly identify why I do some of the things that I do. I look at my mom, I look at my grandma, I look at my great-grandma. Some of those things were about survival. Some of it was about an attempt to live and not knowing how. An attempt to love and be loved and not knowing what that looked like. So how do you access healing? Find a healer, mm -hmm. all right? Find someone who facilitates healing because nobody can change you. Change happens because you embrace it. We're all at different stages of readiness for change. Some of us just say, oh yeah, I'm ready to change. No, you're not. <laughs> you know? No, you're not. If you're saying, well, something might be wrong with me, you're not ready. If you're saying, my wife thinks something's wrong with me, but I'm not quite sure, you're not ready. If you're saying, in my family, if we just fix this one person, the rest of us will be fine, you're not ready, okay? Because when we think about our families, what's happening is a symptom of what's going on in the family, in all of us. What's happening in that one person, we're helping to maintain. Consciously and sometimes unconsciously. So healing has to take place in the village, I like to say. All right? It isn't just something that's going to happen in you in a vacuum. It has to happen because you're ready to engage with self and with others. And the moment that you're able to do that, it becomes full scale. It has that integrity. All right, that allows it to reproduce and, and to touch the lives of others. Because that's what healing is about. When you heal, it is going to change the lives of the people around you. And that becomes the larger message and the greater motivation to seek healing. Okay? That's why we're all here today because we're a part of a body. We are part of a body. And we have to appreciate that that happens on a small scale in terms of our families, but then a larger scale in terms of our communities and our world. And it's so, uh, something that I've gleaned both from listening to you and also listening to you in our daily workouts, you know, when we have our little philosophical talks as we're pumping iron. Something when it comes to relationship that I can't overlook is that every, at least let me speak about myself, every relationship that I have in my life is in some way a reflection of my relationship with self. And as we're talking about these concepts of trauma and pain and healing, 
it's so easy for us to go to this place of thinking about who it is that we need to forgive, who it is that we need to overcome some anger or rage or resentment towards as a result of what has happened. But so many times what we really need to start, the place we really need to start off at is forgiving ourselves for this quote that I'm stealing from this, uh, this guy that was giving an interview. I don't know his name, but I'm totally taking his line. He was saying, forgive yourself for the grenades you threw in the war zone. And basically what he was trying to communicate is so many of the things that we're still carrying is because of conditioning we learned in survival mode, because of defense mechanisms we developed when we were being hurt, when we were X, Y, Z. But when we come to forgive ourselves, because a big part of it is we don't want to carry this anger. We don't want to carry the hate. We don't want to carry the resentment. We do it because it feels protective. But if we're honest with ourselves, a big part of us is also annoyed with ourselves because why am I still holding on to that? Why can't I just let myself feel better? <laughs> and it's, we have to understand that when we were in the war zone, when we were encountering the pain, when the trauma was being dealt, we were engaging with defense mechanisms that were survival oriented. But healing is about allowing ourselves to evolve to a place where we can become more living oriented. And when we can heal, we allow ourselves to live instead of survive. And I want to end this one concept with this little thing, because you know I always love to throw some, some cool science into it, right? They took two cells. Took one cell, put it in this Petri dish, took another cell, put it in this one. In this Petri dish, they had nutrients. In this one, they had toxins. They noticed that the cells in the Petri dish with the nutrients moved toward it. The cells with the toxins moved away from the toxins. But they found that a cell could not be open to nutrients and closed to toxins at the same time. So when we forgive ourselves, we become open to receive the nutrients that are conducive to forgiving the people that may have participated in our pain. This reminds me of this concept of reparenting yourself. Can you guys speak to that a little bit? Like, because I know you're, you're talking about forgiving yourself, right? Like, like in, my, in my own scenario, my whole thing growing up was always my parents' approval. My parents' approval. You know, and part of becoming a man has become me realizing that as much as I appreciate my parents' approval, I don't need it. If I need it or if I want it, I cannot flower into the man that I am. And so I have to give approval to myself. I have to be okay with disapproval from my caregivers. How does this process of reparenting yourself, loving yourself, giving yourself the approval, giving yourself the love that you did not receive, how does that work? Well, I think uh, an important distinction is that when we are growing up, when we're children, when we're going through our developmental years, our expectation is that our parents are going to give us what we need. Okay, so we grow up with that expectation. But then as we become adults, okay, we realize that that job becomes ours. 
that we have to transition into giving ourselves because we can't give to others what we have not given to ourselves. Okay? We cannot. Another important idea to remember also is that we do what we know. We do what we know. Sometimes we walk around with the expectation that people are supposed to be us, okay? That we're supposed to expect from other people that they're gonna do what we would do. But of course, they can't do that because they're not us. So when we presuppose that there's one response, that there's one way to be, and then when people don't give us that response or don't reciprocate in those ways, we think something is wrong. You've done the wrong thing. And then we, we engage in this sort of black and white thinking, it's either right or it's wrong, rather than that was their response. That was what they were able to give us. So it's this new reality that we create as we transition from children to adults, realizing that it's not just our job to receive and be whole, but to give and be whole. To give and be whole. Okay. And even the, the fact that you use that term reparenting, reparenting, it's interesting because I sometimes have the thought, and I'm curious because I'm wondering, you know, if, if you relate to this too, where I'm like, I feel like there is no reparenting, there's just parenting, you know, because it's like, what is, the, because it's about roles, right? It's like, what is the role of a parent, essentially? They're helping to guide this immature entity that is unguided in nature or, or needs some guidance to some extent. But it's like, when I think about myself, I'm doing the same thing. I'm guiding these unguided energies. I'm guiding my emotions because I'm not my emotions. I'm guiding my thoughts. I'm guiding my beliefs because my beliefs are just thoughts that I repeat in my head, you know? None of these things are me. And so I kind of serve as the guidance factor. And, and it's like, I realized this when I went away to college, when I found myself in those first few days of being in Gainesville, I remember watching my parents drive away when they left me at the dorm. And I remember thinking, what am I gonna do now? <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 so what's gonna happen when my clothes get dirty? What? Cook? What? Like, I'm telling you, I had a 10th life crisis up in there. Like, I was flipping out. And just now when I think about that, it's like, is it reparenting or is it just that there's always a parent? There's always a, a, a parent. There always needs to be a, a guiding force. And we always need to be that guiding force with ourselves. It's, even when it comes to, you know, handling failure, how am I going to speak to myself? What's my self-talk like? And I just think when we, when we apply that, it gives us this level of authority and autonomy in our own lives, you know? I, I'd like us to stay here for just a minute because I think this whole idea of parenting and, and child is important for us to understand that even though we present as adults, 
many times it's the child that's showing up. And that's why there's this idea of needing to be parented, okay? Because in your relationships, sometimes it's that child that's looking to be fed that never got that whole feeling of secure attachment growing up, okay? And is seeking that in our partner, which we're not realizing that's what's happening, but it actually is. Because that child never felt secure, never felt that their, their needs were being met. Um, and so there's this whole idea and theories around attachment and how that then sets us up for our future relationships. Um, and so when you think about your actions, and we, were taught, we started out talking about generational patterns, it's because, you know, when we think about moving from generation to generation, to what degree has that child been parented? Has that child been allowed to grow? So if trauma has been introduced, if abuse has been introduced, if, if abandonment, okay, not being able to securely attach, then that's the degree to which that child is still a parent in you. And we can't be afraid to go to these places within ourselves. You know, you can't pray this kind of stuff away. That's just not how it works. We have to have the courage to go deep into those wounds and feel that pain so that then we can release it. But if we don't ever have the courage to, to go there, to sit with the uncomfortability, uh, we're always going to continue to be wounded. And, you know, I think this transitions perfectly into one of the topics that relates deeply with this is seeing as this is such an intimate process. This is such a complex, difficult, intimate process when it comes to healing, when it comes to navigating ourselves, essentially, and navigating this, this journey of, of evolving into adults and beings and gods. But the thing is, seeing as it's so intimate and complex, boundaries are really necessary. You know, we really need to, to put the walls up in certain places to kind of, as the Bible says, guard our hearts. You know, and so my question is, how do boundaries fit into all of this? And how do we really make them practical? Yeah. Well, boundaries are really lines of demarcation. Okay? They define what we're going to let in and what we're going to uh, uh, keep out is really what boundaries do. So when we set up boundaries, they're not really meant to be walls per se that are going to protect us from growing. They're just really uh, uh, lines that we draw that say, here are our values. Here is what represents quality of life for me. Okay, if me not talking to toxic people on the phone or engaging on Instagram or social media, you know, being able to draw those kinds of boundaries so that we can protect our hearts, protect our minds, our thoughts, our spiritual health. 
all right, then setting those up and having the courage to say, this is who I am. This is who I am. And that's what boundaries say. They give integrity to whatever it is. Like the boundaries of this mic give it integrity. It lets you know that this is a microphone. Without those boundaries, you wouldn't know what it is. Same thing with us. Our boundaries are those important lines that let people know who we are. Who we are consistently. Yeah. Very good. All right, anybody have any uh, questions rolling around in their head as you hear this discussion? Got one up front here. Hi, first of all, I wanna say, Ryan, you are so blessed and lucky to have been raised by this amazing woman. And thank you so much for coming and speaking with us. Um, I, I would have like been pulling out of her head my whole life. Every single day, <laughs> yep. That's amazing. So um, recently I had a discussion with my sister. Um, unfortunately, my father has cancer. My, actually, he raised me, he's my stepfather. And I asked God, like, why in my lifetime are you taking two fathers from me? And it's been very painful. It's been very painful. It's, it's something that ate inside of me that I hadn't even, like, come out and dealt with. And her and I were like, yeah, and everybody's going to be, no, she says, everyone's going to be at his funeral, and they're going to say he's a great man, and you don't even know him. I said, you know what, but if you did have one moment with my dad, yeah, you do know he's a great man. So then it ended up into a conversation with, as you say, generations. And I said, think about, okay, my father made poor judgments. He's gone in our life. Our children, my stepfather is the only father that my children ever saw. Their fathers are not really in their life. Because you spoke about grandmothers and um, their grandmothers. And then I went back to like, okay, well, their father's father how were they? So what can we do now? We can try to teach our sons. Or our sons could um, try to become the, you know, be good fathers. But what is the, a good father? What is the example to a good father? So to that point, what I'm saying is what, you spoke about rejection. You spoke about, you know, dealing with rejection. You spoke about dealing with abandonment. There's also the codependency and enabling in the Latin culture. And I'm part of the Latin Caribbean. We're Puerto Rican, but my family was born in, the, in New York. My grandma starts in Puerto Rico. So that goes back like hundreds of years. That's in our culture, the codependency. A man, if you're not with a woman, you are not a man. A woman, if you don't have a husband, what are you doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And here I am in my mid-40s, maybe 20s, um, <laughs> finding myself fighting that culturally, you're looked down upon being single, you know. So even my kids ask, and I'm and and I'm finding myself on my healing journey now, because I want to change that in my family. I want to change me, and I want my sons to see something different. My daughter, my granddaughter, my friends. So. What's your take on that, like codependency and, and the whole, um, the cultural trauma from that? Because that's, that's big for me. That has been huge for me. I think 
being able to visualize what your family actually looks like. Sometimes with families, I have them do what's called um, a genogram, okay? It's like a family tree. Uh, the difference here is that you map generations, okay? Like, who were the grandparents? Who were all the aunts and uncles? Who were the cousins? And then instead of just saying, okay, those were those people, what about their lives, okay? Is there a history of, of long marriages? Is there a history of early deaths? Is there a history of divorce? What is their history of? So that you can start to look at your family instead of just from these fractured spaces to just really get a big picture of, of what were the patterns that existed. And then it creates a conversation for you to really talk about with your kids and with yourself, with your sister. Wow, look at our family. Okay, this is what happened. What do we want to see go forward? Okay, so now you're at a place where you have knowledge and you can empower yourself. All right? The other thing is, so much um, when people are leaving us, they're passing away, we go fast forward, zero to 60. Okay, like, oh my gosh, what is my life going to be like when they're gone? I didn't have this, I didn't have that. When in the moment, we have to say, what do I have in my hands right now? Right now. I have life. Do I have a moment with them? Do I have a moment? What do I have right now? And then build on that because that's what you're given. Work with what you're given instead of what you don't have. Okay, because that's where the blessing lies. That was beautiful, thank you. Mr. Jerry. Yeah, can you talk about the, um, the inner child and the whole unhealthy codependency that we find in churches? Wow. <laughs> that, that's definitely a huge, huge question because a lot of us have come from places of church trauma, okay? And I know I can speak to that experience personally because I know that being in so many structured situations, there's a lot of good that comes out of it, but there's also the sense that you have to look good as opposed to be good. And so churches work hard at looking good, at looking good, all right? So we learned how to build that facade instead of how to be the message, how to be the love, all right? And so when we're not learning how to be, we learn how to rely on the needs of that inner child, okay? That is still seeking and searching behind closed doors, okay? And needing to have somebody else to tell us who to be 
to tell us what to, what's right and what's not right, to tell us if our decisions are sound or not sound. All right, and we develop that codependency because we think that essentially we're not enough. We're not enough. And when I, in oh. fact we are. And I can speak for myself when I think about this concept of like the codependency and its relationship to church. <laughs> think about how long I spent in fear. <laughs> And having actually what I like to call a high level of spiritual reactivity. <laughs> because church had taught me everything about everything about <laughs> this God outside of me. <laughs> and so I was so obsessed with trying to understand this God and know what I could expect from this God. And so when I'd hear about the fire and brimstone, you know, where it's like, you need to accept Christ or else, or else you're going to hell where there's a fire seven times hotter than the hottest fire. When I'm hearing that stuff, yeah, it became super, super scary. And I was freaking out. I mean, me and Danny have talked about this. I remember being a kid and just continuously repenting for my sins in the car, like while we're driving to the mall, because I'm thinking to myself, if we crash and I die right now, I might go to hell. <laughs> And it's like, because there's this huge focus of a parenting entity outside of us. But what I feel like that lacked was a teaching about the God inside of us. And when we come to realize the integration of God in us and through us, that it is in him that we live, we move, and we have our being, then it completely changes the relationship, you know? And so it's like, I feel like that's a huge place where that codependency derives when we haven't yet understood really how intimate God is to us in a really practical sense, not in a sense of, you know, saying all this stuff, but not really meaning it. But no, 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 no. I'm talking about, listen, y'all, I went through chronic depression for, <laughs> for years upon years upon years. When I sit here and say now, <laughs> God is in me, I know it's got to be practical. And if we can allow ourselves to entertain that, I just feel like it causes that codependency to transition into an autonomy in God. Mm. Mm. Very good. Anyone else? Is Holly in the front? Very well, we're gonna bring a mic for you for the listeners online. <laughs> so, very simple question, not, not loaded at all. How do I raise my kids so they're not screwed up? <laughs> so when I was listening to you guys talk, it's, some of my things that I hold on to was I grew up in a household where the way I behave set the tone in the house. So if you're a bad kid, you're going to, this is going to go wrong, you know? So I see myself, you know, like with my son, I'm like, dude, you didn't get an A, what's wrong? And then I think I step, I can step back and I think God, the, because of everything that we learn here, step back and say, I don't want him to have this sense of being defined. If I don't get an A, then I'm not good enough. Or, or, or my, my daughter, if I don't, you know, if I can't fit in this size clothes, then I'm not good enough. So thank you for bringing this forward that, and we have to give ourselves credit now that we can say, oh, wait, 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 that's not the right thing to say. 
Like my son was washing the car yesterday. I'm like, dude, you have to have some work, work ethic. It was, he was getting $5 for washing the car. And I'm like, get every single spot. And I said, no, 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 no. Wait a second. This is not going to be the job that's going to teach him how to work for the rest of his life and that every single dirty spot you leave is going to be the end of the world. So thank you for, you know, talking about this. It's, it's huge because, so, you know, we go through it in ourselves and then we have these kids and we're like, oh, I don't want them to have to spend all those co-pays, you know, but so be it, you know, so thank you. And remember that learning is fluid, okay? We, we have to think about why we chase things, why we chase this idea of perfectionism. Like, if I get it all right, the world is going to be great. And that's not the truth. Because what does all right even mean? You know, what does that mean? And that's why I love this term, presencing, okay? Bringing things into the present. Having a level of awareness that says, um, what am I welcoming in when I say that? Okay? What am I inviting in when I do that? And, and having that accountability, okay, that realizing that we have an active part that we have to partner in. It's not just, you know, being on autopilot. We have to presence the things that we want to be at work in our lives, okay? So like when we do in the centering prayer, that's presencing, bringing us into the, a place of receiving, but then also a place of giving. That's good. And when you also mention, like, how do I not pass along the junk, right? Like, some of that obviously is inevitable, <laughs> you know, because it just is. We're human. But the best thing we could ever do for our kids, for our spouse, for our siblings is work on ourselves. And so if we're doing what we can to continue to become more aware of our patterns and our conditioning and if we do what we can to heal from our wounds and our trauma we're doing amazing work that's going to make a difference and an impact. All right, we have time for one or two more questions. Anybody else? We got one in the back. You talked about um, you know, forgiving yourself. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. You know, I, I, I've noticed that in my healing uh, journey, it's been easier to forgive others, but I'm, it's very hard to forgive myself for... But I feel I've been mistakes or just bad decisions, bad choices, and, and I'm highly critical of myself, and I begin to wonder, what if, you know, what if I didn't go there? And so how do, we, how do we go about that? Like, what are some things that we can do to help us, you know, forgive, you know, ourselves? Um, for me, for not being perfect, you know? Because I'm, I'm, I have a tendency to be a perfectionist, to want to get it all right. And... Um, so uh, what's a good way to go about that? Starting with forgiveness is always for us, okay? Sometimes we find it hard to forgive because we're thinking about the other person and what they did, all right? But 
Forgiveness is really to release us from whatever it is that situation is holding us to. So sometimes you just have to forgive yourself for believing that you could have done better in the moment, okay? And accepting that what I did in the moment was what I knew. It was what I knew. So I need to forgive myself for believing that I could have done any better than what I did. But being thankful that now you're in a position to do better because you know better. You can't change anything that has already happened. It's gone, it's done. It won't ever come back. But you do have the power of the moment. You do have the power of your awareness that you are love and that love can, can change everything. It's what you do now that matters. Very good. Final question, one more? Anybody? All right. Well, hey, let's give a round of applause to this wonderful little panel. Great discussion today. I want to thank the both of you and thank you guys for participating and asking such good questions. I hope this was helpful. Next week, we'll be back here 10 a.m. Love you all tremendously. Have a great rest of the week.